Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Comics Fondle Podcast. My name is Andrew, and my blog is comicsfondle.com. A great blog it is, too, Andrew, and this is your buddy Vernon here from the Comics Gallery, a retail store on the North Shore of Chicago in Wilmette, Illinois. And this is our episode for December 2015, uh, before we do a wrap-up episode. Apologies for the sound. Uh, we're going through some things, trying to figure out a better sound option. This is probably never going to be it, but we're gonna, <laughs> we got a lot to do this week because we didn't have an episode uh, a couple weeks ago because of these aforementioned sound problems. So... We're just going to get going, and Vernon's going to start off talking about a subject near and dear to his heart. Yes, yes. Once again, we're going to reiterate uh, an old topic like the end of the superhero era, because as you know, like Marvel and DC, they've got the lock on superheroes, and that's the motivating business factor in comics. The vast majority of them sold our superhero comics. But what happens when the two biggest companies that have 100% of the market crumble and fall or or eat their young or whatever it is because it seems to be happening um Mar- uh, marvel uh, since it got taken over by disney it has like super bean counters we'll call them hyper bean counters whatever it is they put that marketing in, Mar- in marvel comics and they jack it up a buck and then they make uh the first issue 4.99 or 5.99 and they add the pages but you still got a six dollar book and then another one comes out in two weeks and man, my budget for Marvel is just ridiculous. I, I, I really feel sorry for comic book dealers that pretty much only deal in DC and Marvel because their options are really getting limited as to how they're going to make money. Now, on the opposite end of the extreme, you've got DC Comics, which has pretty much forgotten how to publish comics at this point. And the market share bears that out because in October they received roughly, what, 22 to Marvel's 44% of market sales. So that that tells you something's wrong at DC. So to those stores next year, when we have to like put up with these bills and stuff for all these products that come in, uh, either the hyper inflated title amounts that Marvel insists on putting out, uh, grabbing every single dollar of our customers' pockets, or DC's total ineptitude and watching itself implode before our eyes, uh, it's not going to be pretty. I don't know. I, I hate to be a doomsayer, but uh, it's it's really scary stuff. So support your local comic book dealer, and for God's sakes, buy some indies, you know, because uh, the, the shit's going to fall pretty soon. We'll see what happens. Anyway, we got comics out the ass today. Uh, you, you had a good idea. We're going to group these by writer right off the yep. bat, right? Yep, yep. And uh, a, a writer that's really near and dear to Andrews in our hearts. We could, we could almost be called Ennis Whores, right? <sighs> Is that picture of you getting his autograph online, or... I, I hope not, because I was a total geek boy on that day. <laughs> you know, what about say fucking age, too? That's weird. Uh, well, it was adorable, <laughs> since you had your backpack on, you looked like a little kid. Uh, it was awful, yeah. I don't want that picture to come out. I'd rather I'd rather get pictures of uh, illicit photos with nude men than have my picture of Garth Ennis worship <laughs> you <on the> <laughs> But, uh, let's see. Anyway, Garth Ennis, you know, he had a, he, he's been doing work everywhere, all mm-hmm. different types of work. It, it, it seems to me he's existing on the periphery, just kind of doing shit he wants to do, you know? Well, I mean, he even went back to the Hitman characters, which we didn't really get to talk about, because well, you hate... Section 8? Yeah. Uh, he wrote that in his sleep. I'm sorry. That See, was one yeah. Of, yeah, that was awful. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of the thing is, when we talked about breaking out writers, um, 
Ennis is a big one because he actually has, we're going to talk about why, like eight books, right? But it's also, he's the most interesting in some ways, well, not exactly, because his work's not exactly even all the time, you know? Like, he goes through such highs and such lows. Um, and he will not stoop to do commercial work as long as it's done with his signature style. Right. So, in that vein, one would think where monsters dwell, his sequel to Phantom Eagle, this this book he did with Howie Chaikin 10 years ago, 12 years ago. I wouldn't even call it a sequel, because if you just try to bring that along, it's just baggage. You don't need I know, it and it's like, it, it gets a reference in one issue, and I'm like, oh, really? I've read that series three times, and it, it, it never made this much of an impression. No. So... Where Monsters Dwell continues to be, uh, I don't know. Well, it's it finished good. up. It yeah. finishes up. It finishes up good. It never brings Secret Wars into it. Uh, nope, thank God for that. So it was just some editor's excuse to get to get a Garth Ennis book out, which is cool. I mean. Hey, you know what? The, the Battle of the Sexes on that thing was hilarious. I mean, he's just good. like doing this total sexist back and forth, back and forth. It had nothing to do with superheroes. It had nothing to do with Secret Wars. It had very little to do with dinosaurs and Amazonians and pygmy warriors, but they were all in there anyway. And a lot of, uh, I don't know, a lot of Battle of the Sexes stuff. It was yeah. it was fun, and Russ Braun illustrated it nice. And, I mean, that's the other cool thing is they got a they got an Ennis regular to do the art on it. Doesn't he always pick his buddies all the time? Maybe not at Avatar. But <laughs> every time you see Ennis working at Dynamite or, or or what do we got here, Marvel or something, it's like one of his bros, you know, and Russ Braun is de- near and dear to his heart. Oh, right yeah. Now. Well, uh, Ennis understands the artists who get him, which yes, is going to come up with our la- in our last uh, item here, his weirdest book maybe ever. But next we're yeah. going to talk about Johnny Red. I didn't get to read the second issue, but I did read the yeah, first Yeah, Johnny one. Red's an interesting one. It's an English import from Titan Comics, and it's new material. And mm-hmm. it's about this billionaire guy who purchases, he loves war history, and he purchases the Hulk that has fallen plane from Britain. And he, he spends millions on it, and then he goes out of his way to, he actually gets lucky and finds the mechanic that worked on this thing during World War II, and he meets this guy, and he, the guy starts telling him stories about Johnny Red, the fellow that owned, didn't mm-hmm. own but flew this plane. And it's your typical Ennis, deep, romantic history, death, loser, all that stuff. He even brings in a little bit of uh, some 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 uh, technical territory he's covered before in these boats that used to patrol North Russia, and they'd have a, a plane mounted on the prop. And it would get one shoe, and the plane would be off, but it would have nowhere to land. So it's usually a one-way trip. They would carry these planes for protection on their ship, and if they got nailed, the, the plane would take off and, and, and bomb and strafe the other ships, but it would have nowhere to land in the middle of the ocean. So it, it's just an interesting part of aviation history, Russian aviation history, that Ennis picks up on. But he uh, he's illustrated by Heath Burns, who I think is an English regular, if I'm not sure. It, it looks like it. It looks like your typical English uh, illustrated artwork. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? Good stuff if you can hunt it down. Uh, you know, a bank borrow or steal your retailer to get it. And looks like he might have been the anchor on The Boys. I wouldn't be surprised. I swear to God, all these English artists, I think they all sleep in the same building and, and know each other intimately because they're all working on each other's books on a regular basis. It's pretty cool. 
They stick yeah. together. They're like immigrant artists. You know how when immigrants come to the United States and kind of hang around each other at the you know, Czechoslovakian clubs and shit like that? I just imagine these English artists, like, uh, I can't relate to these Americans. Uh, let's go have a bar in a club of our own or something. Yeah, like he, uh, he inked on um, Joel McRae's fill-ins, definitely. Okay, great, great. Good to see a good guy getting more work. Now, are well, you... you what? Uh, are you ahead. reading war stories? I am not. I sell out of it all the time uh, before I get a chance to read it. So I understand you've been. I've been reading your blogs on it, though. I, uh, you know, <laughs> it's funny because last uh, when we tried recording this before, we were only going to talk about War Stories thirteen, which is the first part of the latest arc. But fourteen's come out since then, and thirteen's awesome, and fourteen's just. It's just a mess, and I mean, oh, wow. and it's, I don't know if, I think I must have talked about it before, because um, I talk about it with the, the previous arc. It's like Ennis needs two issues for some of these, and not three, or he needs, you know, 34 pages instead of 28, or whatever. It's like, he just needs a little bit more and not three issues. Yeah. Dragging okay, so these things out to three issues thing. are not helping, and I think that was one of the first early arcs that you, you're having lots of, you know, wasted issues, and it's not like the art carries it. I mean... No, no, the art's by the least expensive people on the European roster, which are surely nice people. I have no doubt about that. But you know what? Avatar is uh, the, the profitability they have in books. That's their budget, and that's what they got to go with. And war stories, as a retailer, I can tell you, war books sell like shit. I mean, you really got to be either Garth Ennis or War to pick up a, a war this comic. And it's been. On, do you think like the the, the three issue discipline he's exerted on this series is kind of odd, or is it a, a typical writing thing for a writer to do something like this? I think it's a typical thing for him because that's how they um, trade those. That's how Dynamite traded uh, Battlefront. As or Battlefields. I mean, that's a good length for a what seven ninety nine trade. And it's a good length for Avatar to try to get into that market. I think yeah. that it's entirely art of, and I think that the the big problem with War Stories is that Garth doesn't have an editor on it, and he just and I mean Dynamite at least had you know the guy who's freaking out about the money, right? Like right, he's right, like right, Garth. Yeah. Garth Jennifer Blood isn't selling well enough for us to keep doing Battlefields. Like that's what's yeah. up. But no, in Avatar, they're just like you know. That's it, baby. That's, that's all it. the money. That's all you got. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, like, you, you yes, you yeah. made Crossed for us, but there ain't no movie. Like, It's an interesting mix. When when the book first started out and it had a bigger budget at Dynamite and you got some semi-professional artists, which was nice, that was a consistency that kind of helped along the weaker of the end mm -hmm. stories anyway. Uh, having uh, the unseasoned or not ready for prime time people it hurts an already weakened script, and you're right. Like the, I, I wish I could probably say it, but War Story is an interesting comic. I, I hate to just dismiss it outright as bad. Um, even a bad Ennis War Story is going to mm -hmm. be three thousand fucking times better than exactly. Sergeant Rock on a, even on a good day. So I don't want to turn it down. And Ennis but, is somebody who works on his his. I mean, it's. You want to see whatever Ennis does because you want to see how he works his craft. 
Yes, that's exactly it. He, he, he's a really well-accomplished writer, and he could do it over a myriad of subject matters, which mm-hmm. he's certainly proving with the next book. We're mm-hmm. take a, a Train Called Love. A Train uh, Called Love. Uh, you know, I, I first hearkened this movie to like, or this comic to uh, uh, one of those old Hollywood movies, the mm-hmm. ensemble cast and all that, and they'd have all their stories, and they're all kind of wrapping around one another, and it's crazy madcap bullshit, but it's humor. And he, he pulls it off really nicely. It's such an odd genre. I'm like, who's done this in comics? I don't I don't remember a comic I, like this. You know, I, I read the third issue, and all I could think was, it feels like something he wrote in the 90s, when Kevin, or like early 2000s, when Kevin Smith started writing comics, and Garth Ennis was just like, that's crap, I can do that better than he does it. And so he, yeah. he like wrote some series, and now like 15 years later, Dynamite's just desperate to get him to do anything. So he's like, here, yeah. I've got this script, let me update it, make yeah. the pop culture references. Uh... And I mean, the artist is really interesting because he's very cartoony. Um, it, Mark it, Dos Santos. It looks nothing like anything you'd ever expect from a Garth Ennis book. Not at all. It's it's done in this quaint, like, back, Ralph Bakshi animated cartoon style. But it's really nicely done. The guy does backgrounds and everything, yeah. and all the characters are different. And he's got a really nice, loose freehand, but it contributes greatly to the breeziness and the quickness of the script. A yeah. Train Called Love, how, how popular do you think a book like this would be? It's it's about, like, an assassin and a girl gone wrong who runs into him and then other killers who are owed money. And what is this, this one big con job these white guys are doing? Right, the, like actors uh, are doing, yeah. It, it, it's like your typical script where you got, like, three, four, five stories that all juggle around, but they're all related. And he pulls it off, man. He does it great. It's just amazing how it just falls right off of his typewriter. Yeah. All right. Man, Garth Ennis, he is still someone to watch. Even on, like, turbulent times when he's not writing a big mainstream book, he's still setting, you know, he's setting the stage. Let's put it that way. You think it's, you think it's an old script, though, huh? You know, I think it's yeah. an old idea because yeah. – if this were Garth Ennis's new idea, he wouldn't be able to shut up about it. Okay. Like, if he's like, all of a sudden, yet. he's like, I'm going to do a, a comedy comic. It'd be like, with Steve <laughs> Dillon. You know, like, it'd be a big deal, <laughs> right? Like, Garth Ennis yeah. knows how to promote himself. And you know, it's, if they, no, go ahead, sorry. No, it's just like, this is the kind of thing that if it were the 90s, and if he pitched this to Vertigo and they didn't buy it, they just... <laughs> Oh, my God. Like, they should never say another word. What if this is City Lights? Like, we don't know. This could be City Lights. Let's take a chance and publish it. Well, I mean, City Lights was, and it's his long rumored follow-up to Preacher with Steve Dillon. Yeah, they never did it because they did Punisher because Marvel offered him too much money, right? So, yeah. Right. So it's like, what if this is just Garth Ennis' long-lost, like, follow-up to Preacher? Like, you know, well, I don't I, even know what Dynamite's doing with it. Like, For some reason, they, they, they have a need to publish books with big-name people on it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily matter what's the content of the book, as long as it's got Garth Ennis or an Alex Ross cover or, or some bullshit, you know, because the covers are everything, and then Garth Ennis brings along his own posse of people. It's probably a decent-selling Dynamite book. Except for the ones with all the cleavage in it, right. which Dynamite's known for. But uh, anyway, here, what is it? Uh, he, he's just done great, and don't don't uh, don't ever discount Garth. Just when you think he's on his lowest ebb, mm-hmm. he comes back with something. Turns around. 
Yeah. Well, anyway, it was we got a couple of good ones uh, coming up here from yeah. uh, another popular writer, Greg Ruka. Is that Rucka? Ruka? Rucka. Okay. I think. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, Andrew and I regularly suckle at the teeth of the comic Lazarus that he writes because it's probably the most successful ongoing indie in terms of aesthetics right now. I mean, there aren't too many books that can keep us busy for 20 issues. In fact, you can probably count them on one fucking hand. But Lazarus took a slow burn for us, and then it turned into like this must-see title that you anticipate every time it comes out. Uh-huh. And uh, you know what? It, it's hard to say. There's really not there, – there are better and worse issues, but it's so amazingly consistent in its quality. It's gotten that, really good since I'd say issue seven was when it just started turning around and it just was great. Right. Right. We, we and, and as we have many times, we'll mention the enormous talents of Michael Lark, who mm. brings the other half to the book and gives it its flavor as well. I mean, they, they're they're probably on the same level as uh, Brubaker and Sean Phillips mm. right now when it comes to executing technically demanding comics. You know what I mean? Just great, great shit. But apparently <clears throat> Mr. Rook is getting ambitious. He's got a new title, huh? Black Magic. Um, now, did you read the second one? I did today. Does it get better? I'm sorry to say that this expression on my face tells you otherwise. Oh, so, Black Magic is uh, its a story about... It's, it's, it's she's like a witch who's a cop, right? Like, that's yeah. it, right? Yeah, yeah. Witch cop. That's, that's it. It's witch cop. Um, witch cop. But it's, interesting. it's supposedly going to be interesting because it's Nicola Scott, so like... Yeah, she got off the plantation to draw an indie book. Cool. Right, you know, she finally got away from D.C. or whatever, and she's doing this... Yeah. Yeah. No. No. Just, just, it's, it's, it's not even as good as the first, it's nowhere near as good as the first issue of that, uh, tattoo one, Veil. Because the first issue of Veil was awesome. Right. And then. That was strange, but it worked. Yeah. This isn't even as good as, like, a bad issue of Veil. It's just. there's no synergy between him and Nicole at all. None. Like the disconnect between what he's laying down and what she's drawing. Not not that they're they don't tell a story effectively, but it's not much of a story. Okay, right. it, it's like watching a TV show. I think you know you're watching this bad TV show. It it, it reminds me too. Remember Bean Town or whatever the hell that one book was he did. Oh God, no! I don't remember that one. Probably that I did. Email PI. Yeah, really stylized but, but, art. I, I I just want you know, and you you can see the earnestness in in him mm-hmm. in her trying to put out a product that's top polished level, but it it never it never resonates while you're reading it. You just you know it's professionally done, but you don't I don't the rich I don't care about. I just don't care. Two issues into it, I still don't care. And like I said, there was, there's a scene in the police station, which I could have seen. I swore I saw like on Hill Street Blues like three million fucking times when I was a kid. You know, your typical police discussion between them and their room. And I'm like, you know, they're, they're writing for the TV or something here because it, 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 it perpetrates to be a TV show. It looks yeah, like. Yeah, and I mean, you know, that's one of what – one of Rucka's many problems <laughs> – uh, back when uh, he first started writing comics, you know, I, I can't think of a more uneven bag than uh, Queen and Country. Right, like, right. 
But Queen Country, you know, I'll still read them all anyway. Yeah, I know, but it's just like if you've ever had a book that like mid scene goes from being really interesting to immediately just doesn't work. It's that's that book, and um, yeah, it's very schizophrenic. You look at his success on Lazarus, and then you look at like Black Magic, <sighs> and you figure he's looking at this stuff and saying it's not working. He has to say that. Because he can't say that it's a resounding success because you can't get excited while you're reading it. I don't think I got excited mm-hmm. once when I read anything in this mm-hmm. comic over two issues. And I feel bad because, you know, what's her name? Um, Scott, Nicola Scott. Yeah. He does a good art job. Okay. She's doing fine. Now, there's something, there's no, there's no connect between the writer and the artist here, though, which is kind of sad. But anyway, Rucka, you tried. Next. Lazarus. <laughs> Lazarus. It was great. It's been so long since it came out. Yeah, it has been. Yeah, but it was good. I mean... He lets you in on the plot. Like, I'm I'm always interested. I don't know what it is, but, like, the blonde German chick that she fought. Like, she's got more of a personality than, like, anybody in the cast. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of... I'm warm to her. I'm like, yeah, get her into more scenes. It's more interesting. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you know, like I say, this this book is the spiritual opposite to Black Magic. That mm. It just works and it's seamless, you know. But I mean, but, the know, thing is, is that it had a really bad first arc. First arc of Lazarus was bad. It wasn't until Rucka showed he could actually open up the setting, and he told that story in the second arc of that family going across the desert. Yeah, that was some sad shit. Yeah, I mean, like he won you over and get and it like gave you a chance to to reapproach it and it makes you wonder did he know velvet wasn't working was there something different about those early issues did he write the arc for vertigo 10 years ago or something and that's a possibility and then with black magic it's the same thing is that based on notes from back when he was writing gotham central and it would have been him and somebody else doing it at vertigo I mean, God knows all the stuff these guys pitch over the years, especially right, right. back in back when you were working for DC when Vertigo actually had put out new books, and you know, right? Uh, we not, thought not they sold to... them in trade, right? And, and sold a lot of books. I mm-hmm. mean, Vertigo's output was up there with a smaller comic book company, right? You know, so, eh, what are you going to do, Greg? You, you, you and Nicole are got to try something different, or just start from scratch because it might be too late. I don't know, but yeah. you know, it's selling. I go, they're going to write it out, fine, whatever, but I'm done after two issues. I won't be back. Ed Brubaker, he keeps impressing us. Ed Brubaker. What do you want to start with, Fade Out or Velvet? Oh, let's get through Velvet because we're going to talk about Fade Out longer. You're probably right. So Velvet continues to be, you know, in this in this too small number of books. That's just a, you know, fun book. I mean... It's, like I guess, one of those, yeah, it's one of those good recipes for cooking that you can't hurry it. And if it, if it only comes out, you just got to you got to eat it when it comes out. And that's all there is right. to it. Right. You know, it's a, it's a free Krispy Kreme donut or something. But no, I mean, it's, it's very weird because this is the first time that these fun books have been um, indie books. Yes. I mean, when you think about it, what, 10 years ago, there weren't. Very many fun books. But when you did find a fun book, one that maybe doesn't stand up to the most scrutiny, 
Um, it was a superhero. It was like a. Uh, it was a superhero book done by somebody quirky. You know, something we were looking forward to. Yeah. It was not just. Uh, Here, here's Monkey Man. Do what you want with him. He's right. Gonna you know, it, anyway. it's taken a while, uh, and it's kind of a cool thing because. It's letting entertaining books, and we'll talk about some of them later, it's letting entertaining books that um, Image publishes sort of start to rise in, um, in what they're, they're, how successful they can be, which, yeah. you know, isn't really Velvet. Velvet's awesome just because it's Steve Epting, and he's not cheaping out on his art. Um, it sure as hell ain't. Yeah, when he takes two months, it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, like that's really cool. You're getting Brubaker and Epting, and you know, they don't have the greatest synergy, you know. But for these stories, they're not. Uh, Brubaker's not going for it. He's no, not going it, for that synergy. He's going for an entertaining. He's going for a, a a more thoughtful mainstream book. Like, there's no oh reason God. Velvet couldn't have come out from Icon other than Icon's not really there anymore. Right? right. Like, right. it's more accessible by far than Criminal. Uh, yes. Very much so. You can pick up any issue of Velvet and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a longer story, but you'd still get ten minutes of entertainment mm-hmm. easily. And uh, Epting's eye candy art is always good for whatever it is, teaching you how to draw at the very least. Uh, but yeah, we get, we're lucky we get another issue of Velvet. Um, you know, Andrew and I just both love it. It's like chocolate cake. You get a piece of chocolate cake mm-hmm. every two months and you just eat it, you know. But uh, Brubaker's other book, Fade uh, Out, is coming out and it's coming to the end. We got one more to one go. One more issue to go. The Fade oh, Out. Anxiety, anxiety. Oh, can he finish it? Can he finish it? Can know? he do this? I mean, this is anxiety he hasn't encouraged since what? The Daredevil? The first Daredevil run. Yeah. Yeah, like, I, I have more anxiety over this than I do the Republican fucking candidacy for presidents right now. It's pretty Blue hilarious. Baker finally pulls it off. Can he do it? Can He's he do it, never right? successfully ended anything in his life. <laughs> Except, unless it was a short story, but that's it. Or like, yeah, unless it was something he did for Dark Horse Presents or some of the self-published stuff. Maybe like a complete low life ends well because he got to pick and choose the low-life stories he put in. Yeah. But, well, and, and, but he did, like, one-offs, too. Like, little in, insight issues. Like, there was a Hawkman one, and there was another one. That yeah. Was, uh, and he would find these little scripts to throw himself in there, and they were really tight little numbers, you know? Mm-hmm. But Fade Out is just the best book out there. It's like, in the Academy Awards, Fade Out is the book to beat, which you're not going to do unless, like, Velvet comes close, and perhaps if it, if it published more often and was more all-encompassing, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, Fade Out is about an ensemble cast, pretty mm-hmm. much, but it's about Charlie, right? He's the screenwriter yeah. or whatever. Fade Out's very interesting because, you know, last year, Satellite Sam is very much in the same sort of vein as Satellite Sam in terms of uh, era... I sort of see it as the... This is acceptable because Mad Men's a popular show or whatever, but... Yeah, I mean, Satellite... You know, Fade Out Smoke, Satellite Sam, and it... Breaker's staying on... He's... Oh, it's so good. It's not... I mean, it's not like... It's not like a Fatale when he announced, well, it's going to be over at 22. You're just like, oh, bullshit. Like, you just did three fill-in issues. Like, it's yeah. not over at 22. Like, you could have done those after every arc. No, Fade Out, he's actually... 
he's doing his fill-in issues and they're actually making sense in the larger context of the story because he's not going too far. Like, yeah. He's truly disciplined. This is like the most, uh, when it, this, this puts him, this puts him in the big leagues. It does. It puts if him in the big just, leagues and it, yeah. it, it, it makes, I mean, well, what's the last, okay, so yeah, it puts him in the league of the people where you actually are like, Anticipate hoping that his wrap up is you know sufficient like more and uh, crossed plus a hundred and uh, <laughs> I mean the first crossed with Ennis yeah, finishing it up you know it's like it, he's he's hitting that you know you really need to read the next one and it's yeah he's it's and it, he's, he's had that before on Goodwill and yeah. like inventiveness and you know all sorts of other stuff but. He always wore it out, you know, and it's like, and then on stuff where he didn't wear it out, like he wasn't wearing it out on Fatal, but he sure was on Criminal. Like, yeah, right, right, yeah. He, he, he should have took a bigger break from the Criminal arcs because it yeah, would have been but better. But it's like to do the stuff. last time he's done a, he hasn't done a twelve issue limited in uh, forever. Yeah, I mean that Marvel. I think something in Marvel probably like. Well, no, he had the with the Incognitos. What were those six? No, probably. those were. Were they six or fours? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. But that didn't work out, like, even though it was him and Phillips. So it's just so nice to see, and it's just so well done, and oh. I know. We're, we're all anxiously awaiting what happens when that 12th issue hits the racks. It's going to be, like, the first thing that I do when I come home with my comics. And, like, I, I don't want to eat. I don't want to talk to my wife. I just want to sit here and read Fade Out. Just leave just me the fuck know. alone. We just need to finish it, you know? Yes. Ed, we hope the best for you. We, yes. we want to see this succeed. We want to see you go to the big leagues with Alan Board, Garth Ennis, and all that shit, man. All right. Anyway, we got a marathon of titles. Shall we get on? Let's get on with it. So, uh, Minimum Wage, So Many Bad Decisions, which came out months ago, and we just haven't had a chance to talk about it, I guess. But we love Bob Finkerman. So we we're love Bob Finkerman, and it was any. He does it again, you know. It's like this time I went in. I, last time he ended the series, I thought there was another one coming. This time I knew. Well, this time he's like, yeah, there probably aren't any more of these coming. Huh? No, no. He's, I think he was doing over 4,000 copies per, and I knew I was selling four or five of them. So that's a rough haul. That's a small amount of shops selling a small amount of copies. Yeah, so, you know. Go, he, he's you, not you, popular. He's, he's a good writer, though. Yeah, go go by the trade, everybody. Uh, help him out. Yeah, minimum wage. Uh, Bob Fingerman, he like uh, presents like these little New York slice of life uh, stories featuring his main character Bob, who is also coincidentally a cartoonist who balances the chasm between commercial and uh, his own uh, free loose work. And not to mention, it's filled with lots of great sexual ep- <laughs> escapades. You know, Bob makes the worst decisions ever about. Women and how to have and having sex with them. It's it's amazing. The guy gets so much ass, and yet he always picks the wrong ass. It's pretty funny, and it's good pathos. Let's put it that way. I enjoy that. His cartooning <sighs> skills are pretty fucking good too. Yeah, I mean, set that down. But Bob, go go find this trade. This is a great read, uh, folks. Minimum wage by Bob Fingerman. You can't go wrong. Tokyo Ghost. Oh God, that's that's I'm gonna do a quickie on Tokyo Ghost. Okay. Uh, Rick Remender's new series. Um, Rick Reminder can, can, can ease your pain or he can drive you nuts, depending on how he's writing on a given day for me. 
Um, so far, three issues in with Tokyo Ghost. Uh, he takes his partner, Sean Murphy. The man just can't stop drawing to save his life. He just draws and draws and draws and draws and draws. And then he starts drawing some more. Uh, this lovely fantasy story about uh, two escaped cops from a controlled society who are making their way out into other parts of the world. So far, after three issues, holds a graceful beauty. And I'm really in on the protagonist. I don't know where Rick Remender's going to do this. He's one of those guys who's going to pull a rug out from me. I don't mm-hmm. know. Maybe. But so far, it's kind of like a nice dreamy drug. And uh, it's very filled with hope. And he'll probably pull the rug out from me. But three issues in, and I'm really enjoying it. It's like a nice good drug. You know, you're like, hey, man, I'm digging this. Show us in the chair and read this comic book. <laughs> All right. Tokyo Ghost 1 through 3. Look for him. Slap your dealer. All right, I'm going to let you talk about Miracle Man because I'm afraid that's what I don't read anymore. Neither do I. Oh, the only reason we're talking about it is because I am not reading any more of Miracle Man by Gaiman and Buckingham. (sighs) I think those Golden Age reprints were better. I think so. It is, you know, it's... There's just not enough time to do anything and... It's just... <laughs> well, there's not enough time in life to read Old Miracle Man by Neil Gaiman. That's I, you know, and the funny thing is is that Miracle Man, the more stuff, is one of those series that, you know, unless you... If you didn't grow up with it, you heard about it later when it was much harder to come across. And so when you do finally read it and it delivers, that's really great, you know? And it's like, then the whole, all of this was just for there to be a miracle man by uh, Gaiman again. And it's just like, cause he's going to finish it up for Marvel. And it's just like, yeah, you don't, you don't really need to. There's not, not a whole lot of, not a, not a whole lot of shit to hang your hanger. No, on. Nothing really to re- no reason to read this. Like, no. When was it first published? Was it, 90, I think. 90, latest 90. Now, Gaiman was a... Okay, this is a stretch, but I Gaiman is a quote-unquote proficient writer by 1990. In fact, he's what? He's in the high peak of Sandman, or is it before this? I, don't, I, I think it was just before Sandman. Okay. So, but it's, it's really like pretentious tosh, as mm-hmm. they would say in England. You know, and Buckingham's chicken scratchings are just not getting me there either. I mean, he went through a multitude of styles before he settled on Kirby over in what is Fable's book. Uh, but this early stuff is just really ugly and just not very good. It's not worth five dollars that Marvel's charging for this shit, man. Four ninety nine. I'm like, really? Jesus, who the hell's gonna buy it for four ninety nine? Two ninety nine. You might get some curiosity seekers, but five bucks? I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, oh shit! Here we go. We're sinking we're sig- we're into another book of mine again. I gotta talk some more. Yeah, there you <laughs> my go. apologies. Dark corridor. Oh, we're you know, uh, Rich Tomasi, Tomaso, excuse me. He's an indie guy who's been around for a while, and he's doing this kind of weird hybrid mutant book called Dark Corridor, and it's got like noir mostly, gangsters, thugs. And it's done in kind of this Art Deco style, which kind of clashes with what you consider traditional noir. Because he's got to do a colored book, and he's making the most out of it. He uses these really uh, – they're bright, but they're earthy hues all the way through it. And he comes out with this really kind of interesting graphic style that makes the book unique. Now, I'm not going to say it's deep, and I'm not going to say Tommaso's the best artist in the world, but he really works hard on this stuff. 
and the gangster vibe, he, he like breaks up two or three stories per issue and they all relate to one another and they all continue to the other ones that you've read before. So it's kind of like a little bit of a formal exercises here with all the characters he's utilizing. And uh, he'll probably only get a half a dozen or so plus issues out of this, but it's kind of an interesting experiment. And if you're into the formal end of comics and you like reading noir and you like reading gangsters and death and stuff, it's, it's a pretty nice way to go. So I can recommend that one wholeheartedly. Uh, let's see. We got, uh, I Hate Fairyland. I, I Hate I missed Fairyland by Scotty yeah. Young. Are you reading this? I read the first one. It Humor's is. a tough call. Excuse <laughs> me, everyone. It is the That's story right. of a little girl who gets uh, trapped in a fairy tale kingdom when she is eight and never gets to go home. And so she. She ages. She ages, but not externally, just internally. So she's a bit of a drunk, uh, a very violent drunk who, <laughs> <laughs> who, who, who enjoys killing all of her, <laughs> all of the things around her. It is, it's hilarious. It's really, really well. Um, the art's great. It's just. He does a great job with it, and he, um, I don't even, the, the writing is, I mean, it, it's really quickly paced, but he gets away with it just because he has an understanding, a real understanding of how fairy tales work, um, in the popular sense, so, yeah, it just, it just works out. Really, it was nice really to see him well. do a sustained narrative, I think. That was when I read the first issue. I said, you know, I don't just have to look at these silly covers he's doing for Marvel all the time. Mm. He gets to do a sustained narrative. Where he, it really, We really find out whether Scotty Young can do it or not. And he seems to get through it just fine. He's got, like, all the classic, cliched, cartooning moments, like the pounding of somebody's skull and it splatters, and, mm. you know, the, the mean-spirited girl in her overcharged head. And... Uh, you know, it, it reminds me a little bit of Bill Ray, what he used to work on. Uh, what was that cartoon with the dog and the cat? Ren and Stimpy? Yes, Bill Ray. He was a great cartoonist, and uh, it reminds me of his stuff. So he's got good influences and everything. So I think if, if sarcastic, gross humor is your call, you could probably have that one on. You know, it's nice to see him do a comic too. It is, yeah, because he he did those beautiful, beautiful um, Wizard of Oz covers from Marvel too. Those are pretty. Yeah. Um, Very pretty. Yeah. So. So next, Scotty's Vernon is it's Vernon's turn to talk, and he's going to talk about monstrous because monstrous. I don't That's even hot. know what that is. Yeah. Um, Monstrous is a, a, a nice little effort. I mean, it comes in this $5 issue, but unlike Marvel, it gives you $5 of content. Um, Marjorie Liu, I believe, and Sana Takeda are your creative uh, maestros here in this kind of futuristic Japanese influence story about two races and how one gets the upper hand on the other. And one of the, how would you say, one of the one of the soldiers of the fallen race 
is given an opportunity to exact revenge for all that's been done to her people. And it's pretty thick, well-illustrated, very deep. And when you when I say deep, like, they really capture the spirit of a really good animator in these things. Like, they get the dramatic moments, the majesty, the scope of the backgrounds. The thing just flows like this really beautiful atmospheric cartoon all the way through, and yet it's really highly detailed. They don't skimp on the drawings. There's no cartooniness about it, although it's very very Asian-influenced, obviously. Uh, but you know what? It succeeds. It, it, it brings in some outlandish characters and some situations that some might say, okay, I've been here, done this already. Mm-hmm. But it does it well enough where you just keep moving. You just keep going, and they keep giving you more to look at and other things to see, and, and it just works very well. I mean, the thing I, I'm going to guess this thing is about 40 to 50 pages, and it's worth it. If you get a copy of Monstrous, uh, that's nice. We're waiting for number two coming up pretty soon, so that's a hot one. Very Birthright. Cool. You still reading Birthright? I am still reading Birthright, even though I have jumped off uh, another Josh Williamson book I read. I was reading, um, the Nailbiter one. I'm still reading Birthright just because Birthright, it, you know, it's still, uh, it's still a pretty fun book, and I think that uh, that's kind of the problem with some of the other books is that uh, that other one is he doesn't get to have the... When you have fun with something and you do it reasonably well, you can get away with a lot. And yeah. uh, he does that here. He gets away with, uh, you know, some minor plotting issues. But really, it all, it all evens out. The charm of... He, He's trying to do an 80s kids movie, really, you know, like, but, you know, he's trying to get PG-13, he's trying to get 13-year-old kids into a PG movie. You know, he's not yeah, going to... he doesn't to, go very far. He doesn't go very far, he's very careful about how he does it, and it works out for him, and... Excuse me. It's a, it's, it's a um, sword and sorcery type of thing. Yeah, it's a sword and sorcery type thing, like... I can't imagine you'd be able to sell it really easily because there's none of that stuff that's popular, but oh, it's a well-conceived book. a lot of bad book. movies made when that yeah. stuff happened, but yeah, yeah. I, I'm mad because, you see, I'm an old Conan man, and when I started reading it, it really, like, it really reshapes people's uh, perception of what Conan is, I mm-hmm. think, because it's, it's, it's like a parody of Conan, so I got mad at it. I'm like, oh, darn it. Can't read that one, <laughs> Well, you know what? You're on it still after a dozen issues, so I it's am. holding your attention. You know, that's that's quality when you can hold my attention for a dozen issues. That's very hard to do, you know. Uh, let's see. we got a miniseries coming up by uh, your favorite, or one of your favorites, Grant Morrison. Uh, he uh, is writing a Christmas tale, in the uh, story of Santa Claus, man. Grant Morrison, Santa Claus. Oh, I'm getting a willy already. I'm telling you. Uh, he hooks up with this artist, Dan Mora who technically is outstanding. I don't know. I, 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 I do keep my ears open, and I do profess that some people miss my uh, my scope, but this guy is really good, and he brings this whole hard-edged, well-rendered fairy tale to life really nicely. Uh, the whole story of Santa Claus being like a barbaric kind of guy, loner out in the woods shit, what happens to him, all these magical things and the people he has to go up against in the first issue. 
uh, leaves me wanting for more. And that's pretty cool too. Uh, if this if this keeps up this quality, it's going to make a hell of a trade paperback. But we'll see. But uh, the artwork by Moore is outstanding. The characters are all perfectly smug in their roles, and Kloss is the innocent one out of them all. And it's pretty. It works pretty good for me. Um, there's a wonderful scene too that even even Morrison gets in here. You, you you have to have your moment. I don't know if I can. You can see this now. It's the mm -hmm. psychedelic scene where Kloss smokes a bowl before he goes to bed. And uh, the whole thing starts tripping out, and he starts having these magical dreams, which have an effect on him when he gets up to it. It's pretty cool. Good stuff, man. Let it go. Uh, Vernon is Grant Morrison. Um, <sighs> he, he made the semi-big league. See, he, he got to the edge of the mountaintop, but he never got to hang out on top very long. Maybe an issue or two. Manifest Destiny. Now, they haven't solicited any issues of this, I don't think, past 18, have they? I'm not sure. They're taking so a break. Sure. They're taking a break for a few months. All right. Well, maybe they need one. Well, I thought it was a really good issue. Yeah, they finished pretty good. They they did they did some pretty satisfying things, and they kept up with the flavor of it really nicely. Yeah, and... Um... It's a bit of a surprise because the book's yet another one that would benefit from a better editor. Yes, um, yes. You and I followed this one since the first issue, mm -hmm. and and and, eight, and again, eighteen is a, is a hard number. We you could probably say there's probably three or four issues that maybe they could have worked on their chops and gotten them up to the quality of the rest of them, and there was still that ultimate focus. Mm -hmm. You know, the ultimate focus wasn't there. We were still philandering, despite the fact that these guys had a mission and they had a cast of characters, and they were on their way. It's so very, yeah. And even yeah. now, it doesn't necessarily feel less aimless. But we'll see. Um, yeah, we'll see if they if they can take a break and recharge their batteries, and maybe they can tackle this issue, as it were. Uh, every it, it, it was kind of like uh, it, it's like. It's better rendered, obviously, than Letter Forty Four, mm -hmm. but it's like one of those. It, it, it occupies that same thing in my system. I, I want to read it. I want to find out its conclusion. Now, will I ever say it's a classic? Well, maybe not, but it, it's well. It, it's well done. They put a mm -hmm. lot of work into it, so I'm happy to see that. But yeah, it, it finally takes a break. Uh, uh, for those of you who have never heard of the book, it's uh, Lewis and Clark Expedition, H.P. Lovecraft Horror, Revisionist History, uh, pff, all there and more. Lots of death. Lots and lots of death. Lots of death. death. Yeah. Gross oh, well, death. But, yeah, really gross death by mythological nightmarish creatures that will haunt you in your dreams. Mm -hmm. Anyway, moving on. Paper Girls. Man, everybody on the internet likes Paper Girls. And I don't know why the fuck. What is this book? I don't even know what you're talking about, Vernon. No, it's Brian K. Vaughn's latest uh, scribe. With uh, he, he enlisted Cliff Chang on board for some type of series about these oh, girls who deliver right. newspapers. Okay. And three issues in, and I still don't think I've gotten my nine dollars worth. He, and the first issue, he gave us like forty something pages for two ninety nine. And then after two issues later, I'm like, I got nine bucks in, and I still don't have anything that I can sink my teeth in here yet. And I think I'm done. I think I was very generous to get three issues. I do not understand the uh, the mesmerizing effect it has on some people. Well, you've never been a Cliff Chang fanatic. No, I think he, he could get away with this book. I mean, 
you know, he could get away here. It's graphically included. There's not enough meat on here. Like, Brian K. Vaughn's got all these, like, little mechanisms going on. And, and I'm like, well, you know, it, it's not really adding up to anything yet, man. I've read, like, fucking 65, 70 pages of this, and I'm not going anywhere yet, you know? I mean, WTF, I got other books to read. That's where I'm at, you know? I'm sorry. This, go ahead. I was just going to say, that'll nicely contrast our next book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're probably right about that. Uh, that one is yours because yeah, I haven't had the opportunity. Are you yeah. ready yet? Okay, I gotta be I, careful, everybody. All right, so pretty deadly. Kelly Sudeconic, Emma Rios. Uh, Kelly Sudeconic. I wrote your blog, just so you know. <sighs> you should have been working today, Vernon. We don't <laughs> all have the day off today, like you didn't have the day off. I didn't have the day off. I'm an, I had Hanukkah traffic, man. All right. <laughs> so, Pretty Deadly is a book that we talked about when it came out previously, which I think it finished about eight months ago. It's been a long time. At least, yeah. Uh, Kelly Sudeconic got famous uh, doing Marvel work. She got famous, I don't know. Marion Matt Fraction. Marion Matt. She's Mrs. Matt Fraction. He's Mr. Kelly Sudeconic. You know... Um, she's fine. Everything I've read before from her has been fine. None of it. Uh, didn't she do a Dr. Doom that was really good? Yeah. I think so, yeah. Yeah. So she does, like, good, she can do really good stuff, but, I mean, in general, she just does fine enough modern superhero stuff. Emma Rios, I think, did a bunch of stuff at Boom that I gave an issue or two and never stuck with. Well, so they do a Western. And it's freaking awesome. It's like mythological western. Mythological, but you know the mythology of the West. I mean, it's just ama- it's just awesome, and they never tell you that. I mean, you never find no in the first series. I think you start finding out the mythology behind it by the fourth or fifth issue, and it's never important. No, yeah, you're right. That's the big thing, and it's not important, right? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter because uh, it's such a good book, and I mean, it's like. Kelly Sudeconic went ahead and did Bitch Planet, and that's not very good. So, no, that's not very good. Yeah, that, that's like that's like Mr. Rook on his 180-degree uh, turn. Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, it's just like, for whatever reason, Pretty Deadly Hit, and it still is. It's it's an updated arc. Vernon's already read my post, so I don't think it'll be a spoiler to him, and it's not really a spoiler, but they play with the timeline a little. So, I mean, it's just like... Is it still a Western? Like, was it a Western before? It's very weird stuff, and it's just like... I'm not... Well, well, does it continue from where it left off, or or what's going on? I mean, I don't want you to reveal anything, but I mean, is it... it, Did they just jumpstart into another, like, story that's... It takes some... (laughs) Excuse me. It takes some time to resolve the things that they left off with, it turns out. Okay. So... I hope you have not sold out of it because it is a. Uh, it's a it's a treat. Go ahead. I want to read it now. I'm going to bring one home with me right now and make sure I read it because you know Emma Rios is uh, it, it, she puts a lot of effort into her like dreamy, symbolic, surrealist type mm. of artwork and her and and Mystic, or Mrs. DeConnick seem to have some good synergy about what's going they on. They really do, and I mean that's. <sighs> 
it's that's rare. kind of the thing these days. Like we've gotten to the age where you have indie books that don't have synergy when previously they always did. You know, like. And that was something Vertigo was very good about matching artists and scripts. Yes. yes Even for the stuff that they that. packaged themselves, they did it very well. And then starting with Avatar, Dynamite, Boom. Oh, uh, who's that other guy? Uh, does G.I. Joe. Is that? IDW. IDW. You'd have scripts not at all match with the writer. That's true. Yeah, well, yeah, right. Hey, who's handy? Uh, you're busy. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Who's cheap? You know? Yeah, we oh, we can sell that to we can sell that to NBC. Like, let's just get an artist. You know, <laughs> and it's like it's 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 taken a while for the synergy to come back, and a lot of it at uh, Image before this has just been Brandon Graham and his buddies. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that was fine. It produced some good books, but you know. Prophet Earth Wars two years late, and we uh, don't even want to read it. <laughs> yeah, I'm scared. I mean, I love Prophet. Uh, it, it did such a bad that. job with the end of that book. That it's yeah, just like, and, and has he got too much on his plate? I don't know. I really want to see Prophet succeed, but if it's anything like what he's been published in the last three or four months, it's going to be a tough road to hoe. Uh, but I'm going to read it with mm. an open mind because I want it to be good. Yeah. But yeah, I want Brandy Grand to be good. You know, he's cartooning. When he just does his shit, he's fine. It's when he's like the guru to all the independent cartoonists up in Seattle or whatever it is that, uh, I don't know. It's just not it, it, it's just not there yet. I don't know. I'm not trying to be a pooper head. But, you know, on the days when you didn't have to pay eight bucks for a comic book, uh, you didn't mind as much, you know. But now you're like, oh, eight bucks, man, and I can't read this shit. Mm-hmm. Well, what are you going to do? Anyway, I'm going to mention uh, our next entree, which is uh, a finished-up miniseries from Dark Horse, Dark Horse called Midnight Society, The Black Lake. Um, I'm not familiar with the creator, Drew Edward Johnson. I'm thinking he does everything here, right? He does the story and the artwork, and he does kind of like this Jules Vernish H.G. Wells, but with updated special effects story about this group of outsiders that live among humans on earth that try to preserve whatever culture they have left as being a species that also had to coexist on earth or their existence is a secret. Uh, and it's really beautifully lovingly done and rendered and everything. I mean, you, you could easily uh, see him developing the script a little more as time goes on, but he really gets four issues of his uh, characters and stuff worth, and the fact that he draws it all, he's he's just about there. I'd say he's about 90% there. And uh, look for the trade paperback of this one, because if you like that kind of stuff, uh, it was really well done and very convincing, and uh, it, it kept my attention for four issues. But uh, Drew Edward Johnson, I hope to see his stuff coming up pretty soon. Was it better than, uh, what the hell was that one that Scott Snyder wrote that Sean Murphy drew? Oh, that goofy, uh, was it Witches? No, or was it the, shit, was it Witches, was it? No. The the underwater one. Oh, yeah, Sean Murphy. Oh, that's awful. That was pretty, though. You could look at Sean Murphy's art, but there was nothing, man. They're like, okay, I'm out of here. Okay, so Rocket Girl is back this week um, after a rocky start last uh, issue. They're they're finding their footing again on issue seven, except 
you know, Amy Reader's art and the concept is what Rocket Girl has going for it. The script itself needs to give Reader the most to do, I'd say. I mean... Figured out? Just... It, there's something, you know, magical about Rocket Girl. Yeah. Um, not because. when it's set in the future, but when it's set in the 80s, it's very much... It's a very loving representation of sort of this pop culture 80s, um, dirty old New York and things like that. But, you know, it's just weird that there's not a better synergy between the creators since they are obviously working very closely together. It just... Yeah, they're doing Moon Girl for Marvel, too, simultaneously. It'd be interesting to read, considering they'll have an editor over there. Yeah, yeah, it reads better. I didn't read Rocket Girl, but Moon Girl was fine. It got an A-OK from me, although it loses points for being three ninety nine instead of two ninety nine. So this didn't work either. That it was like it was disjointed. Like no, uh, seven works. Seven works pretty well. Yeah. Um, it just I don't know. It's hard to trust the book anymore. You know. Yeah, yeah, you'd like it, but it broke up. You're not sure if they're going to follow a periodical mm-hmm. table or anything. You know, if you can't put out an issue every six months, that's a rough haul. Don't bother. Find something else to do. I mean, if uh, you're going to do arcs, make sure that they're... Done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you're going to do a five-issue arc, you gotta you got to make it worthwhile. You can't... Because, I mean, the last... It's like they're trying to write for the second trade now, which is fine, but then just do a trade. You know, I mean, Amy Reader... Yeah. Amy Reader can get real work. She can get really good paying work. Um, I'm sure. Well, maybe not. It's not like there's anybody who cares about good art anymore. Well. It pays. She could do a Star Wars book. She could do a Princess Leia book. It'd be a chick doing a Princess Leia book. Marvel would love that. Yeah, yeah. I could oh, and Amy, remember? Like- it could be a team-up between Princess Leia and Minnie Mouse. Princess Leia could be drawn by Amy Reader. And Amy Memberson could draw Minnie Mouse. Okay, that would work out fine. Vernon's just, like, rolling his eyes over there. All right, because now... Oh, good, you want to talk some, Vernon? Because guess what? I'm just jaded on Disney comics because they don't sell for me at all. It's It's time for you to talk about seven comic books. Oh, man, not the dreaded Go Vernon section. I don't know if I can handle this, but I'll handle it. Handle it, I will. Now, Twilight Children I'm supposed to read because it's by... Beto Hernandez and Darwin Cook. Those are some big names, baby. Those are those, some big those, names, and I need Dar- to read it. When you when you talk about like upper echelon of writers, man, Beto Hernandez is right up there with Alan Moore and Garland. Now, Madison. who's who's drawing it? Darwin Cook, my man, the guy who did DC New Frontier and stuff. Whoa, Beto's and, writing it. Wow. Okay, so yeah, yeah. And, and it's a Vertigo comic. I would have to say that this thing is as close as it gets. To the old school vertigo right now. It, it hits it. You two issues in and they've kept my attention. You've got Beto designing the characters and some of the backgrounds and stuff. And he does some of the light stuff in here. And it's uh, it's like a well-measured tale by two really good people that know what the fuck they're doing when they make comic books. So that Twilight Children kicked ass. So I like it. Two issues in. All right, here's one. Have you seen any of the cartoons for this? 
over the garden wall. No, but you've been talking about it. I mean, it's a yeah, it's a bo- it's a kaboom book that Vernon reads that I isn't a Roger Landridge I had to force him to. So he must really like it. I do like it. I do like it. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. Um, he, they, they chose a weird path, though, for me, because I'm not familiar with the cartoon, but the fourth issue is a totally disjointed story about something else other than what the first three were kind of about. Because they had these guys got lost in a forest, and mm-hmm. there were three issues. And as it turns out, this was a precursor story of the cartoon that they felt like fleshing out in the comic books. But then they jumped to this one, which is another thing about another character in one of the cartoons. It's an offshoot of that. So I thought it was kind of an odd choice to finish a four-issue miniseries mm-hmm. this way. Uh, I can't say that I wasn't totally enthralled with it. You know, it was it, it was kind of a retelling of an old old Henry type story, but really well done by the uh, artist and writer who did the first three issues. Is it Pat McHale who wrote it? No, excuse me, Amelia Lavari. Jeez, some of these names. Pat McHale and illustrated by Jim Campbell. Jim Campbell has this cool, like, what would you call it? Uh, what's her name? That weird uh, Annie doll. Not Annie, but I don't know. Uh, Raggedy Ann doll style for his characters. And it's just really utterly strange, and it works in this context of haunted fairy tales and stuff. And he kept my interest for four issues because of the the... It threatens childlike innocence, but it doesn't show any graphicness or anything. Mm-hmm. It scares a kid. It's kind of cool. You know what I mean? It, and it teaches a moral lesson. And I'm like, you know, I'm all about that shit. Because get the hell off the TV and read comic books, you know? Anyway, Empowered. Once again, Adam Adam Warren. Adam Warren. He does Empowered. is the best superhero series on the stand. Don't read that shit from Marvel and DC. Read fucking Empowered, you poor, sad, deluded people. You'll find out... Okay, you talk about what a superhero comic could be in this millennium, and this is it. No one does a better job of Adam Warren than making convincing characters out of this ridiculous, cliched system we have and and making you care about them, and then illustrating it all in this hyper-energized... Japanese anime style about this girl with self-esteem issues and a big bottom and it's just hilarious stuff all the way through man uh, he does it all in black and white okay so it's got a little uh, sensuality it's definitely for mature readers okay uh, but I don't know the, you, you, the latest uh, he does these one shots right he'll do these once a year he'll do these thick books and then during the year he'll put out a couple of these one shots they just got collected recently into a trade and they're just marvelous little gems. She's on the phone bitching to her friend about what a week she's had as a superhero, and then she's relating them. So you get to see them in comic book story while she's talking about them. And it all works. It's a wonderful story. All right, onward and upward. Mystery girl. You know, let me get a swig of beer. <sighs> What's there Mystery Girl, Vernon? Go. It, Mystery Girl is a really cool story about, like, this empath who runs a detective agency from the sidewalk of the streets here. And it's charmingly illustrated and written. Paul Tobin, look mm. him up for me while we're chatting. Um, and it's drawn by Alberto Albuquerque, not related to any of the other Albuquerques, I'm sure. But it's it's the kind of book that Vertigo would have put out in the 80s, and it would have been a real hit because it's really finely crafted. It's about this street detective that can solve all mysteries for people. She's like this young woman of color. And she just, like, uh, sits in the street and talks to people, and they hire her. And it just works. And you get so much for the first issue. 
this is what I'm saying. When you talk about textbook first issue, Mystery Girl gives you the meat, the characters, a story, and it gives you the cliffhanger to bring you back for two. Um, right now, there's a lot of people that could benefit from reading this. Okay, we're thinking about writing and doing comics. So grab a copy of Mystery Girl. It's damn good shit. All right, what do we got next? Ringside and Lingo, right? All right. Oh, do you want to talk about We Can Never Go Home Again, Five? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, the the, the final issue of Black Masks, uh, Tarantino Comics label story about two teenagers with uh, mutant powers breaking out into the world and running away from home. Um, I would say, in the end, there's just enough talent and energy here to get you through five issues. It worked in that respect. It's not the greatest, nor is it the most original stuff I've ever seen. But the artist is doing pretty good. Uh, is it Kindlin? Let's look his name up. Uh, nah, it's too hard. They got, he's got his last name on the cover. I'm going to assume it's Kindlin here. Uh, somebody named Hood wrote it. I'll assume Rosenberg colored it. They did a good job, too. Uh, it'll be nice as a trade, too. Um, it's a Tarantino story about youths who get superpowers and run away from home and have all sorts of bad shit happen to them. Good stuff, though. Convincingly done. If you're the audience for this, you'll know it, okay? All right. We were talking about genres in indie comics a while back. Science fiction being the new zombies and stuff, as it were. Uh, noir seems to still have, like, this undertow or its roots everywhere because these two titles, uh, Ringside and Limbo, they both uh, explore the, the noir sensibility, although uh, with different conclusions. They're very brightly colored books, I should say. Um, Limbo, an interesting one about a detective who lives on another planet, it looks like, uh, by uh, Waters and Weingard. I'm going to assume this guy's name is. It looks uh, looks pretty hard. It doesn't have enough vowels for Vern here to figure it out. Um, but I'm telling you, you know, a lot of these books, this is $2.99, right? Here's another one. This is $2.99, and you get, like, a lot of art and a lot of reading here. And the guys really do a great job about this detective who has amnesia. And he's trying to figure out his life. And he has these friends that live in this really weird fucking place with weird fucking people in it. And Limbo goes the mile. It's definitely something to look for. I like that one. And then Ringside, which is kind of wild because it combines noir with wrestling. Now, I'm not a wrestling guy. And I'm probably the last guy to pick up a wrestling comic, you know. But Ringside uh, is about a guy who used to be in wrestling. And he's back in town and he has a reason for it. So it's kind of a noir piece that involves wrestling as a peripheral atmosphere. And I like that because all the characters in here are interesting and cool. And Joe Kidding, he worked on that Glory book that I enjoyed, I think, a while back, too. He's uh, one of them indie guys with Brisson and all them. I mm -hmm. think, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Um, and then Nick Barber is the artist. He does kind of this cartoony style that combines with the colors. It looks kind of like Henry Matisse and some noir mixed together sometimes. But it works. Um, it carries you all the way through. They're very simple cartoons, but they work. And uh, this was a nice one. What is this one? This is an extra buck at three ninety nine. but I think you get the extra material. Yeah, this thing goes all the way to the end. So you get your money's worth. Again, much better than any Marvel comic at three ninety nine. And it uh, successfully, uh, Ringside successfully mines the noir terrain, as it were. All right, baby. <clears throat> so... That's what happens when I don't read comics, since we try to alternate. Yeah, you and your vacations. Cut it out. <clears throat> Vernon, some... Yeah, you can, yeah, you can run a half marathon. And I read comics, too. Yeah. I, I guess you read comics, then. 
So, but we are going to wrap up. Now, do you want to talk about humans first before we get into our big... Yeah, maybe I should. Okay, Gem right. of the Podcast, the unknown gem of the podcast is a book image has been putting out called The Humans. Uh, one of my regular customers, Charlie, uh, he says, oh, you got to read this. this. is good. And he brought his collection in for me to read. He was real sweet about that. And I was immediately swept along by the underground sensibility of this book. It reminds me about be, uh, being a high schooler discovering violent sexual comics again when I was like 16 or 17 years old. And it's a Planet of the Apes kind of book where the it's about this motorcycle gang in 1972 called the Humans, and they're all apes. And humans are like animals in these things. And, you know, since you're a Planet of the Apes fan, you might want to look this one up too. But it's a, a total Sturm and Drang biker fucking movie, B-biker movie with drug, sex, mayhem, and tons of violence. And it carried me through 10 issues without a slowdown. It's about this disaffected guy who used to be a member of the humans and he went to war and they all thought he was dead and he comes back and he joins the humans again. And it's just, ah, it's fun motorcycle violent sexual drama, man. What can I tell you? If you have any penchant for 60s underground comics, this fills the bill. Like all these guys who are in their 50s and 60s out there, dig this sucker up. You're going to enjoy it. All right, gem of the podcast. But anyway, we're going to wrap it up with uh, a couple of our favorite comics this week. You go ahead. Uh, well, I just read it. Now, I've Dark read Knight? Dark Knight 2. So I didn't know, and I didn't even finish All-Star Batman and Robin. So I didn't know what I was getting into with Dark Knight 3, The Master Race. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but in the last few weeks, Miller's made it sound like Azarello's more the front person on this than he is. Oh, I would imagine so. This has just got Frank Miller. This is like Technophage, remember? Remember that label that hired Neil Gaiman and all of them to put their names on comics, and then that was all. They had the concept, but that was it. I, I'm thinking this is about the same thing. Yeah. Um, so between Brian Azzarello doing a Batman book, Andy Kubert doing the art, and then you got Claus Jansen back for that Dark Knight connection, except Claus Jansen's been inking uh, since nine, what, 1980? I don't know, uh, five, four, just right. guess. He's been inking forever, right? Actually, he was, a, yeah, he was, a, what? Yeah. Uh, it looks like we lost you. All I, right. I, I'm, um, I still got you. Okay, it's, it's gonna, I got uh, you. Oh, you got me? Okay, good. Okay. So, I mean, my point is, is that Klaus Janssen is inks everybody. Klaus Janssen's a one hell of a professional. Wait, didn't he ink Gene Colan on... No, that was Tom Palmer. But, like, he's one hell of a professional inker. So he's not going to ink Andy Kubert to make it look like Frank Miller. Because it, it just... It's so desperate. It just feels so... Yeah, this is this is Dan Didio's last legs. I'm sorry to say, like, there's really nothing going on uh, over there. At DC, they're they're kind of intellectually bankrupt on books. I, I would say this might be his last gasp. I'm not sure, but it seems like that to me. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty desperate, and you can you can see how just how desperate it gets with the uh, backup there with starring the yeah, Adam and great. Superman's daughter and. It, it's not Frank Miller doing a, 
Frank Miller version of the Atom. It's Frank Miller trying to do a universe building version of the Atom. It's almost like you can see DC calling up Frank Miller and being like, we need you to save us, Frank. And this is what yeah, Frank came yeah, up with Miller for them. again, would you? And I mean, this you know is... What? A, it, it went $6 a hit. I mean, they, they, they have to be careful. They want this to last, what, 10 issues or something? I don't know. And it's Frank, so you can't believe he'll ever finish it. Yeah, he he's going to flake out before eight or ten issues are gone. I don't know. You can never tell. I don't know. But, you know, you read it, right? And it's kind of like, you know what it reminded me of? Like, like an independently produced comic done by professionals who are trying to do an imitation indie comic. I don't know. Maybe that's... But you know what? The glued in this with the Adam thing and... I don't know. It was just very... Um, very bizarre to read. I'll give it points on that. You know, but it's not, a, it's not an event comic. Is there an event here? <laughs> no. Batman's back! Except it's not Batman. It's Carrie Kelly dressed up as Batman. Yes, yes. Oh shit! Like, I just, I like... just spoiled it for you all. You all read it. If you give a shit about this, you've already read it. <laughs> <laughs> the best, the, the, I mean, the uh-huh. only thing about it was, is I'm not writing it up for Comics Fondle. Matt's going to do it, if either of us do. And okay. so I'm reading it, and I'm like, I'm not going to have to write about this thing. And I'm just like, but I kind of want to talk it. about how desperate it is. Like, it's, it's a desperate, desperate book. It desperate. All right. Something that does not I wish read I enjoyed it. Desperate. But it, 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 it smells of desperation. Mm. <coughs> Providence <coughs> 6. Um, Alan Moore's latest masterpiece. So, I mean, it's... We're halfway through Providence now, right? Like, Yeah, 12 issues in, and man, the shit hit the fan. The, uh, the protagonist has uh, started to understand his situation, and... As I said in my post, the beautiful part is, is after convincing us, the reader, that we would know more than the protagonist, um, more sort of showed us that he's been holding a few things from us, too, and it's just a great, great surprise in the book, handled amazingly by Moore and Burroughs. Um, it, it's, it's very strange. One... One never hears Alan Moore talk about Jason Burroughs, really. At least, not in the way that he used to talk about, you know, Rick Veach or Steve Bissett before their, <clears throat> excuse me, respective falling outs. And... He is good. But yeah. he, it took him a long time to get good. It did, though. But he got good. It's like he got good... For Alan Moore. I mean, because Burroughs is stuck with Avatar. He hasn't tried to do anything else. And he's worked his way through, and he's finally gotten to... Because, I mean, the, the, the one, that first one, the Courtyard, didn't have art like this. Yes, that's true. Yeah, and he, yeah, that was what? How long ago was the Courtyard? That was that was eight, ten years ago at least. Fifteen, wow. I think, Vernon. Oh Throw me out the window now. 16. I bet it was 16. I bet it came out in 99. 
Jesus. So he's been doing comics for 20 years. Or, or more like 2003, food. but whatever. 2003. Uh, right, right. Well, he's got 15 years under his belt now. But yeah, uh, this book couldn't have been done without him. I mean, it's kind of interesting because Alan Moore always pulls the weight in his books. But it's hard to imagine anybody but Jason Burroughs drawing this thing. I mm-hmm. mean, it's nightmarish depiction of H.P. Lovecraft and this one guy's slow discern in the hell. It's just really creepy-ass shit, man. I was scared. The back matter, when you yeah. read the back matter, you do not want to read about the ending of the comic again. So <laughs> he did the back matter where he relates the <clears throat> day's events in prose form at the event, and it gives more edge to it. And oh my god, I really didn't want to relive it. And thank God that I just, I just figured it out. But I was like, oh my god, it, it, it leaves you on the edge of your seat all the way through. It's scary as shit, man. Ugh. Very uncomfortable. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so good. So Only the good. Only need, need apply. If you have a faint heart, you probably shouldn't read this book. Once again, another <laughs> book that Vertigo should have moved heaven and earth to get. Well, you know, my customer and I, and at the risk, I'm going to try to do this without revealing spoilers because we're only halfway into the series, mm-hmm. so this isn't a big plot thing. It's not as if you didn't see it coming. Um, my customer and I were talking about this because he says, well, you know, here, here goes. You, you're going to hear people say, oh, here's Alan Moore with the rape thing again, okay? But on the other hand, the way it's handled is just so 180 degrees to what about the act. It's just very bizarre, and it fits the context of the book so horrifically. And the helplessness of the characters is just, oh, my God, it's laid bare for all to see. It's just really wild shit, man. I don't know how to describe it. It's just, yeah. Alan Moore. In six issues, Providence, like, it's 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 hair-raising horror. It really is. And and it's not with graphic violence. No. Nope. I, I can't say there's been any extreme graphic violence. So if your stomach doesn't go there, I'm not saying it wouldn't go that way later. I don't know what Alan Moore's got planned here, but, oh, man, it's the pause that refreshes as far as time. But, you know, you feel genuinely uncomfortable after you read this comic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like you don't want – sometimes I won't read it because I'm like, well, i got to read the back matter then too. And I'm like, I can't. I can't deal with that right now. Like, yeah, you gotta have a break, man. <laughs> what I it love is that is, horrific, if, folks. If you've been listening, Vernon didn't used to read the back matter. Shame no, him, no, everyone. No, 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 Shame no, no, no. him. I learned. I have to start chastising me about the first issue now. I'm well, it's just that. so innocuous. The first couple issues, you just find out that the lead is just this jerk. Like. You know, yeah. In a a passage, he's reading in this one, it even says his name. And he remains naive. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh man, it's going to be worse. Yeah, this isn't going to go well for you, but yeah. So, um, now we're going to do trades. Now, we have, a, we have a little list to run through. Uh, let's wait till after trades. What's that? We're going to run down that list. Wait for what? 
the publisher list. Oh, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. It's a surprise yeah. for everyone. Yeah. Don't ruin it. Continue with the surprise. Your Victor Gishway you're teasing me with. I love Victor Gishway. Oh, you leave Victor so Gishway alone. He's so good. How he's any- actually. Victor Gishler came out of nowhere, came out of Marvel X-Men books, and all of a sudden... Yeah, he, he's definitely one of the best of the modern writers who can do genre material, and he has his specialty. It's usually edgy, like horror and whatnot. Um, but uh, recently, Order of the Forge and Hellbound... Well, Hellbound was released as a trade, I think. It's one of them foreign things. Uh, but uh, you can get it through, uh, I think, Dark Horse, as well as Order of the Forge, but... That was a great one, man. Uh, that would be a great movie, I think, don't you? Mm-hmm. Order of the Forge just... Especially since the property was owned by someone else, you almost wonder if that... They wanted to make sure it got developed and developed right, and they got Gishler to do it just because it's something he can do, and he can do well. Yeah, he does it well. Copperhead Volume 2. Uh, good collection, great strip, uh... Great space western, wonderfully executed, and, uh, I don't know, a good collection overall, I would say. Uh, Harrow County, Volume 1, another one that, that came out this week from Dark Horse. This one is genuinely creepy. It's the uh, Hellboy Bunch. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think the uh, artist on that one. I'm trying to remember his name. What the hell? I don't have one handy. Uh, very evocative stuff. Uh, two twin witches born apart meet again, and uh, it's all done in this swampy land. Uh, more than uh, evocative of uh, Louisiana and, and swamp thing and all that, but it's got these horror undertones. Uh, it's it's for people who like horror that's not quite on the level of Providence, let's put it that way. Okay. Um, yeah, it, it's very, like I say, it's evocatively done. The uh, characters are all pretty good, and it just works works very well. It's like a nice song in a way. When you when you read every issue, you're ready for the next. Big Man Plans, the trade that, that you want everyone to read, but you really don't. Uh, this entire mini series by uh, who is our, who who are our killers on this? I got to look this Eric one up. Eric Powell and somebody and else. Weish. Yeah. Total disgusting. Four issues of revenge, chopping, sex, midgets. Viet Cong, Ugh. it's it's a breath of fresh air, but it's violent as shit. You've never you've never seen a bigger, deadlier midget than this guy. Let me tell you, okay. And it's X-rated for depravity. Yeah, but you know what? A, it needed to be done. It's it's definitely worth this it. America. <laughs> it's worth a read. Yeah. Um. Just be aware that it, it gets gross and doesn't stop. So it is night- unique. It is a unique <laughs> specimen in the history of comics. It uh, really it goes is. where very few strips dare to go. Big man plans. You know who you are. <laughs> this uh, guy was a midget during the Viet Cong War and used to go into the nests and blow out the commies. That's just the beginning. <laughs> yeah, that's the most that's the most commercial part of it. Um, yeah. It's one hell of a book. So uh, now we're going to talk about media. We actually made it through the comics, and just so everybody knows, 
We talked about 19 Image books, 6 Dark Horse books, 2 Marvels, 2 DCs, 2 Avatars, 2 Booms, 1 Titan, 1 Black Mask, and 1 Dynamite book. So, well, and no Star Wars books. Well, the Star Wars books ain't going to make it, are they? <laughs> Unless Alan Moore starts writing Star Wars. All right, so now we're going to talk about media. Where do you want to start? Uh, TV, TV, TV. Like we've okay, we we can go we can go straight with this week's what the the the, the previews. I I happen to be watching Gotham, and I saw that hideous preview for Batman Superman. And then my customers started telling me about the one that was released a couple days later. So today I saw that while I was at work. And I have to say, I'm still not encouraged to want to see this movie. <laughs> How do you feel about that? Uh, you know, I, I was the uh, 1% who liked uh, Man of Steel. So I was looking forward to a sequel. And so I was looking forward to Ben Affleck as Batman. I'm all on board for it. <laughs> They have such a nice little battle between them. They have a nice little battle between them. I feel like it's got some humor to it. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. You know, it's like, who knows? I'm getting what I want. I'm getting a Batman who's bigger and bulkier than a Superman. So, we'll see. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Did you see the Captain America preview? No, I saw a Captain America one a couple weeks back. I don't think it's the new one. They got another one out? No, no, no. The one where he... That's got to be it. The one where he and Bucky are punching Iron yeah, Man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the Tony, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that looks promising. I mean, just for... If you want to, like, superhero mayhem... I mean, it looks like superhero mayhem, doesn't it? Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, in Civil War. Yeah, it'll pass. I don't know. So is that it? What else is there to talk about? Did we actually get done? I think I think we did, by God. Andrew and I have worked very, very hard to try to get this to work for us. So, all right. Be good, children. Night, everybody.